Well, good morning and welcome to our Palm Sunday service at Lakeside Church in Halliburton. Uh, this is um, just a great time for us to begin to concentrate and prepare our hearts to celebrate the Passion Week and the coming uh, of Easter. And it's going to look a little different this year. It obviously looks a little different right now as I do this teaching, uh, but I'm glad that you are here with us. I'm glad that we are able to gather together in this way and that we are able to begin our meditation and begin our consideration of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done uh, for us and uh, that we celebrate at this particular season. So um, just going to open up in a word of prayer before we look at our text in Matthew. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for the fact that as a family we can gather together in this way. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you would just enlighten us, that you would Show us uh, what you would have us learn from your scripture and apply it to each of our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been working through the book of Matthew, um, we have seen Matthew repeatedly as he's been writing his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, is setting up the uh, picture of Christ as king. He's the Messiah. He is a better David. Uh, he is going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to sit on the throne eternally. And so we continue now as we get into this Passion Week, what's known as the Passion Week or the Week of Christ's Passion, the Passover week in which he is at the end of going to give his life on the cross. Um, the actions of Jesus and the words of Matthew recording those actions really accelerate and amplify his identity as king. And uh, our problem is we don't want to recognize the king and his kingdom for the most part. We are born as self-worshippers. We are born as sort of petty rulers of our own kingdoms and rulers of our own lives. And we're in danger of missing out on the superior kingship of Jesus. Um, the reality that Matthew is getting across here is that Jesus is the king and that his patience with our rebellion has a limit. And so we can see this in the contrast between the first arrival of this king and in his second arrival. And Palm Sunday is obviously a time when we celebrate his first arrival, but we're also going to contrast that with his second arrival. So let's look in Matthew 21, 1 to 16, the first coming of the king. And this early part of this text has been read for you already by the kids uh, in terms of Jesus arriving uh, on a donkey and the crowd spreading their cloaks on the road and others cutting branches from the trees and the crowds that went before him and followed were shouting Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest and it goes on and it says when he entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred up saying who is this and the crowd said this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw these wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So that's our text. That's the, the whole part of Matthew 21, 1 to 16. 
and it describes the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem as a king for the first time. And as we consider this first arrival of Jesus on this Palm Sunday, um, what we see here are four different things. We actually, Matthew outlines literally dozens of ways in which Jesus points to himself as king, but we're just going to look at four of them today. The first one is the inauguration of a humble and peaceful kingship. The entire week that Jesus spends in Jerusalem, now that the hour of his death is near uh, and at hand, is heavily laden with meaning and purpose. Uh, the news and the reputation and the rumors of who Jesus is has been building slowly over three years of his ministry, and it has been building at an accelerated rate over the final few months. And now it reaches its peak in Jerusalem at Passover, when the population of the city of Jerusalem uh, is five or six times greater than normal. And it's the most important feast of the sacrifice and most important feast and the most important sacrifice of the year is about to take place. So Matthew recounts for us this amazing approach that Jesus takes in entering the city with his disciples. Uh, First of all, before they even arrive, he tells them to go ahead of him and go into a village and they will find a donkey and a colt tied there meant for him. And they should go and fetch them. And if anyone asks, just tell them that the Lord has need of them and they will let you take them. And so the disciples go ahead to the village and they discover exactly as he said, And I imagine the disciples are probably used to this kind of thing happening around Jesus by now. But let's not overlook the level of detail that God has prophesied and foretold of in this moment. There would be a donkey. And Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem on a donkey as prophesied by Zechariah. And this points to, as Matthew uh, alludes to in his text, it points to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And in that, the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, we're going to get to that, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so we see in this text here that's being mounted on a donkey, Zechariah points specifically to humility, the humility of Jesus' arrival as a king. He is a humble and peaceful king. It's a moment for Jerusalem to rejoice, and they will. They're going to shout Hosanna because he is indeed a king, but he's not the king that they expect. He is a humble king. He's not riding on the war horse of a general or an army commander, but he is on the peasant mount of a donkey. And a little bit earlier, Jesus had already taught this lesson of humility to his disciples uh, in a different context. If you remember your stories from Matthew, there's the incident when James and John Uh, two of his disciples worked up their courage to ask their mother to ask Jesus if James and John would sit on his left and on his right. Uh, Very brave men indeed, the sons of Zebedee. But as their mother asks Jesus if her sons might sit on his right and left hand, Jesus says to her two things. A, you don't know what you're asking. Uh, If you want that much glory, you better be prepared to drink the cup that I need to drink. And then secondly, my kingdom isn't like that anyway. You disciples are trying to gain superiority over each other. And this is what Gentiles do. And Jesus goes on to say, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you see here, The kingship of Jesus is different. The kingdom of Jesus is different. 
He has come as a humble king, and his citizens are to be humble citizens. We are to serve, not be served. And not only is it a kingdom of humility, but it is a kingdom of peace. If we keep reading in that prophecy in Zechariah, it goes on to say in verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so we have Zechariah prophesying this arrival of a humble king. Not only is he a humble king, he's a king that's going to bring peace and speak peace to the nations. This means that it's a peaceful arrival, and Jesus intends all the nations to receive the peace that he is going to speak. That means the kingship of Jesus is available to you. It is not just for the people of Israel. It's not just for the tribes of Judah. It is for everyone. And Jesus is speaking to you, no matter your ethnicity or your family or history. Jesus speaks the peace of reconciliation between God and man. This is the king, humble and speaking peace, that Zechariah prophesies and that Jesus points to himself as. He's a humble and peaceful king, but no less triumphant, no less victorious. Matthew goes on in verse 8 to make this clear. It says in verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And this is the common practice of welcoming a newly inaugurated and anointed king. We see an example of this in King Jehu's inauguration in 2 Kings chapter 9. He gets inaugurated and he gets anointed as the new king. And in 2 Kings 9.13, they have that same response. It says, In haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. And so this laying down of the garments for the king to uh, walk on or for his mount to walk on uh, is a symbol of a kingly inauguration or a kingly anointing. And so in all of this way, this first way, Jesus just described, Jesus declares, I am the king that has been prophesied. I enter Zion or Jerusalem on a donkey. I'm humble. I'm proclaiming peace, but I'm no less victorious. I'm no less a king in my humility and my peace. And the people honored him and he received their honor. But there's more ways in which Jesus declares his kingship. The second thing is the revival of a holy and righteous kingship. Zechariah's scripture tells us also that this is going to be a righteous king. It's going to be a global kingship, but it's going to be righteous and holy. And Jesus is seen to be this king as well. When Matthew goes on to record after his triumphal entry, it says he entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So we must not make the mistake that perhaps some of the people of Jerusalem did, that because Jesus is humble and brings peace, that he's somehow weak and will tolerate unrighteousness, or that he will tolerate impurity. Above all, Jesus is a righteous king. He cannot deny himself or the father or the righteousness and justness and holiness of their reign as king. So when Jesus arrives in the temple and he sees that the courtyard has been filled up with money changers and market stalls of people who are selling offerings to the poor, and they're selling them overpriced and trading in temple currency at dishonest rates, his righteousness and his holiness shines through because he is a righteous king. And so the temple of God will not be a place where people are swindled. 
you remember our message a few weeks ago on judging and how we judge and uh, the reality of honest and dishonest scales in the kingdom of God. It's a place where the holy is not going to be made common in every day. It's not going to become a marketplace in that way. And so it must have been shocking to the priests and to the keepers of the temple that Jesus would just Jesus would just walk in and start throwing people out as though he had authority to do so in their temple. I mean, they must be asking themselves, who does this guy think he is? Like, does he think he owns the temple? Well, yes. Yes, in fact, he does own the temple. It's his temple. And so he has every authority and every right to treat the money changers and the market stall uh, proprietors this way. In fact, Jesus has a right to all of creation. He has a right to you and me as we are his creation. When Jesus is made king of our life, we might think, as C.S. Lewis puts it, that he simply intends to tidy up a few things in our life, that he intends to fix the leak in the roof and unclog the drains, all the things that we really wanted him to do anyway when we came to Jesus. But Jesus intends, we discover, to knock down walls and put on new wings and build a new tower and a new courtyard because he owns us. He is our rightful owner and king. And he intends not just to fix up our little cottage. He intends to build a palace for he, that he can live in himself. And that's the reality that we come to when we come to a righteous king, that he is holy and right and pure. And he has every right to preserving his holiness and righteousness and purity in his people. He has authority over the temple and its worship, and he has authority over you and me. And so in this way, Jesus declares himself to be the righteous and holy king that will make his people holy. And then thirdly, we see the actions of a compassionate king. Matthew goes on and he records that Jesus began healing the sick that came to him. He says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. In previous months when Jesus healed, he often told those that he healed to say nothing of it and to not tell anybody that he had healed them and to not make a big spectacle of it. But now here he is at the temple in full view of this overcrowded city of Jerusalem when every Pharisee and scribe is out on the street to be seen participating in Passover. And instead of telling people, you know, to keep it quiet, he's healing people in broad daylight in the temple in front of everybody. And so after throwing out the money changers and the hustlers, Jesus welcomes in the people who would have normally been barred entry into the temple. The blind and the crippled were not allowed into the inner temple courts itself. They were restricted to the steps and the colonnades around the temple. But Jesus shows compassion to the very people that would normally be excluded. And so this also points to his identity as the coming messianic king. The prophet Isaiah, speaking in a way very similar to Zechariah, reveals how the people of Israel will know that their Messiah has come to them. He says in Isaiah 35, 4-6, he says, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so here's Isaiah describing the future coming of God, who's going to come with vengeance and with salvation and with healing. Does that sound familiar? Right? Vengeance and healing. And we'll see it again when the last Old Testament prophet speaks 400 years from the beginning of God's silence and just before Jesus arrives. It's in a sort of a double prophecy of Jesus's first and second coming. The prophet Malachi speaks and he says, 
But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. This is the healing king that is going to rise, who's going to come. And Malachi is speaking of Jesus' coming, the first time and the second time, in fact, and we're going to get to that. So now is the time to meet the king. This is the time in his first coming to meet him. We're going to consider his second coming in just a moment, and you can be certain that you want to know King Jesus now in his first coming. He's full of compassion. He is offering healing, and he's speaking peace, and he's offering reconciliation. That is how Jesus comes to us on Palm Sunday. He heals the blind and the lame. In the temple, Jesus declares, I am the compassionate and the healing king. And then fourthly, we see the celebration of the Savior or Messianic King. There's many more indications of Jesus as king, but just finally we're going to look at this one. This one aspect that's been repeated several times in these prophecies, that Jesus is the saving king, or he is the king of salvation, and what that means. We can see this in the way that Jesus responds to what the people and the children are doing and saying. Uh, in verse 8, the crowds are spreading out their garments, and they're spreading out their cloaks on the road in front of him, and palm branches, and then in, in verse 9, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, which means salvation. They're singing Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, this is the hoped-for king like David that we've wanted to have. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're basically repeating words from Psalm 118, 25 to 26 there. So they're, they're actually saying salvation. This is the Messiah. This is the saving King David. Salvation is in this king. And then... That's interesting in and of itself, but we see the Pharisees' response. And let's be clear here. The Pharisees knew exactly what they were seeing meant. They knew that Jesus knew it too. There is zero mystery here that Jesus is accepting worship as the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Davidic King. He understands that he's being worshipped in that way, and he is accepting it. He knows it, and the Pharisees know it. Look what Matthew says. It says, When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? So what is Jesus referring to here when he's talking to the Pharisees? This is Psalm 8, verse 2 that Jesus quotes. But, but I just want us to look at the context of Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 8, 1 and 2 read this way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength or boldness or praise because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So Psalm 8 is speaking of God the Father. Psalm 8 is speaking of Yahweh. And Jesus applies Psalm 8 to himself. And it's such a classic rebuttal by Jesus to the Pharisees. I mean, I love every interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees. They try and trick him, and they challenge him, and they mock him, and they try and incriminate him. And Jesus just slays them every time with the simplest responses. Um, they challenge him here. They're basically saying, Jesus, are you not listening to what the people are singing? Are you not listening to what these children are saying? You know what it means. Aren't you ashamed that you are receiving worship as the Messiah? How dare you let them worship you like that? That's basically what the, the Pharisees are saying. That's why they're indignant. And, and Jesus' response to them is, yes, I hear those children. 
And have you never heard that it is out of the mouths, mouths of infants that will come bold praise? So <laughs> that's it. That's his answer. And the Pharisees are basically done. They have nothing to respond to that. So in the actions of the people and the children and in Jesus's response to the Pharisees, he declares, I am that King David you have been waiting for. I am the Messiah who will be Hosanna. I am salvation. I am the saving King. I am salvation for my people and he is salvation for you. So all of that is the picture of what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. That is Jesus's first triumphal entry as King, not the King people expected, but clearly entering Jerusalem, entering what is called Zion as the king, as prophesied and claiming his identity. He's a humble, holy, purifying, compassionate king that has come to speak peace to the whole world and to save his people. We have that now. That's the church age that we live in. We live in the reign of that king now, a king that comes on a donkey, a king that comes to heal, to lay down his life, to serve and not be served. That's how Jesus chose to come to us this first time on Palm Sunday. This is the king who we rejoice in, just as Zechariah prophesied that people would rejoice, just as the city of Jerusalem did rejoice that first day. Jesus has come to us that way this time in order that the patience of God be known and that our sins be atoned for, that a way be made for our reconciliation with God. And that way that Jesus has come has been left open for us for 2,000 years now. But here's how we conclude, and here's what we have to look at. Here's what we have to contrast. There's more than one return of the king. Jesus has gone for a little while to prepare a place for his people, and when he returns a second time, it will be very different. We've seen clearly the first arrival of the king. We need to look at the second arrival. We've seen in the teaching of Jesus on the Mount how often he uses comparison and contrast. And so now let us compare and contrast this first arrival of the king with his second arrival. In Revelation 19:11 to 16, we read, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you see, the patience of God has a purpose. God's patience with the human race over 2,000 years of our self-worship and self-determination or God's patience with you and me over 20 or 30 years of our self-will and stubborn rebellion is all for one purpose. Whether God is being patient with the human race or God is being patient with you, he has a purpose in his patience. And his purpose is that his patience would lead us to repentance and restoration of our relationship with him. This is why Jesus came as a humble and peaceful king the first time. We read in Romans 2, 3 to 6, the Apostle Paul speaking specifically to the patience of God and to not get it wrong. 
He says, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed, he will render to each one according to his works. So a time is coming when God's patience will have accomplished all that it will accomplish. And that time, King Jesus will return, but he is not going to return the way that he came the first time. He is not going to be a baby born in a manger. He's not going to be a quiet rabbi teaching the wisdom of God and proclaiming the hope of his coming sacrifice. He is not the Lamb of God who will purify and lay down his life for our salvation the second time he comes, but he will come as the Lion of Judah who will set things right and who will rule for eternity. You see, King Jesus returns the second time as the king of God's righteous justice. God's judgment will be fair and it will be true and it will be right. And everyone who has caused harm, who has abused, who has rejected, who has destroyed, who has enslaved, who has belittled, who has mocked, who has hated, who has wronged, everyone who has, in a word, sinned and that has rejected the free offer of reconciliation by the sacrifice of Christ, will finally have their day in court. And those seeking justice will rejoice that the justice of God is coming. Nobody likes this message. Everyone says things like, I prefer to live in a universe without real consequences. I don't want to be accountable for what I have done. I don't want consequences for my actions. I don't want to humble myself before the mercy of a creator I have offended. They say things like that. Or they say, but if there is a God, then I think he should agree with me. I want to make my own rules. I have judged myself and I've decided I'm a pretty good person. How dare God disagree with my self-assessment? I have a valid reason for every bad thing that I have done. It wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's. And maybe it was even God's fault. You know, I, I should be judging God, not God judging me. <laughs> we make all of these excuses and those are human arguments. I've heard all of those a thousand times over. And yes, that is exactly the kind of rebellion that Jesus is coming to judge. So today on Palm Sunday, we celebrate and we rejoice and we say Hosanna and Hallelujah that Jesus has come as a humble and compassionate and healing king, yet who will not compromise the purity and righteousness of his kingdom. We love the coming of that king who is humble and healing and reconciling, but also righteous and just and pure and will not tolerate injustice. The world should rejoice in that coming of that king. That is what today is all about. It's all about Hosanna. It's all about the messianic son of David, the king who has come. But this first arrival is only half of the story. Jesus will come again, not on a donkey, but he will come on a general's war horse. He will not come with healing initially, but with a sword. And he will not come with his robes covered in the dust of the roads that he has walked, teaching and saving. He will come with robes covered in the blood of his enemies. That is not a sign and a, and a, and a picture of Jesus that we like, but it is true. He is gentle and humble, but he is righteous and pure. And so we have this day, we have this time in the patience of the Lord to come to salvation. Today is the day of your salvation. Do not presume upon the patience of God, but turn to his son, the true king, who is right now merciful and compassionate and willing that you be his child. Put your hope in him and you will not be disappointed.
all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, we are told in Romans 10, 13. And so talk to me, talk to a family member, talk to a friend, learn what it means to follow this king and be saved. Be a citizen of this kingdom while there is still time. Jesus has come humble, peaceful, healing, and reconciling to save. When he comes a second time, it will be useless to say you kneel when you can no longer stand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to celebrate this Palm Sunday, that Jesus did come on a donkey, that he did not come the first time to bring absolute and final justice, but in fact to bring grace. And so, Father, I pray that each of us would find it. In Christ's name, amen.